Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Ben Hunter, Booktopia's Fiction Category Manager, and this is a podcast about books and the fantastic people who read them and write them. Monica McInerney is one of our best authors. Um, she's the author of over a dozen novels. She's a bestseller both in Australia and abroad. She divides her time between South Australia and Dublin, and her latest book is fabulous. It's called The Godmothers. Monica joins me now over Skype. Monica, how are you? Hello, Ben. Thanks for having me on the program. The podcast, I should say. The podcast program. (laughs) Um, It's a real honour to have you on. Uh, We've been waiting for a new book for a new, and uh, and this book is so rewarding. I I just adore it. Um, I don't know what it has more of, um, secrets or charm, but it's just so, so compelling. Uh, For you, what's at the heart of this new book? Um, thank you first for that beautiful um, words about it because it's the early stage of, you know, when the, when the book's only just coming out and so your nerves are a flitter. Uh, so thank you firstly. Um, I think it's a, it's a book of several levels, I think. It's a family mystery, um, I think, in, to begin with, in that it's a story of a young woman called Eliza Miller who is searching for lots of truths in her life. She wants to find out. Um, the truth about the father she's never met. She wants to learn more about uh, her young mother's troubled life. Um, But I think it's actually a story of moral dilemmas. Um, It's about the secrets that some people keep from others and whether it is sometimes better to tell the truth or better to lie. Um, So those three levels kind of run through the whole story in in my mind. Yeah, it certainly is a story of levels. <laughs> There's a lot going on um, for for what is, uh, on the surface, a really a really charming story with such lovely characters. Uh, your protagonist, Eliza, is you know, the perfect every woman. She's um, kind, smart, she's young. Um, but rather than give away too much of her amazing journey, she goes on. Um, why don't you start by telling me about her wonderful mother, Janine, and Janine's best friends, Maxie and Olivia, the godmothers. That's right. It's um, it was Jeannie. Um, Jeannie is um, oh, Jeannie. Eliza. Jeannie. Right. <laughs> yeah, we can go through a whole book and you just misread something in the first instance, and then it just becomes concrete. <laughs> don't worry. Mind. Janine's a nice name too. Don't worry. But she's, <laughs> and she's called um, Eliza's mother is Jeannie, and um, it's a like the book is set in the present day. Fortunately, not the actual present day, because um, all of my novels have people moving back and forth between different countries. And I think if I'd been writing this in present day, um, nobody would be able to go anywhere. So my book has to be set in the past. Um, but it also uh, goes back in the past to before Eliza was born, and it, it tells the story of Jeannie and her two best friends, Olivia and Maxie, uh, who all met each other at boarding school, quite a religious boarding school. And it's it's a story of friendship, really, in that they um, they were all kind of a little bit of the odd ones out at this, this religious boarding school and so bonded and got up to all sorts of hijinks. And it's about the way friendships change over the years as well, um, in that you ebb and flow a bit over who's looking out for who, um, people succeed in different ways or people um, find troubles in other ways and the way your friendship sh- changes shape around that. And Jeannie is a troubled um, young woman and um, and she 
becomes pregnant to Eliza quite young and she chooses her two best friends uh, as as the godmothers to really be as watchful over this young Eliza as possible. And that it proves to be very, um, very important in Eliza's life. Yeah, they really have to go above and beyond in that role, don't they? They do, they do. Um, so uh, a, a cataclysm, <laughs> if you call it that, come, comes to head in, in Eliza's life as, as, an, as a young adult. I think she's about 30. Um, and when this happens and she she gets on a plane for the first time in a long time with a kind of fear of flying uh, to go all the way to Edinburgh um, to reconnect properly with these godmothers and and to find out about her father and her mother's past. Uh, and uh, on this plane, we encounter my favourite character, Sullivan. Can you tell me about <laughs> Sullivan? Again, again, just to say again, it was so strange to be editing. Like I did the final edits to The Godmothers here in um, in South Australia, and I'm actually I'm one of the stranded. I was I usually live in Dublin with my Irish husband, yes. and uh, I had flown to Australia in um, in February March to see my family and do some work and research, etc. And uh, and then the pandemic hit and the flights were grounded and the borders closed. So I've been unexpectedly here since then, and um, so I've turned into one of my own characters because I'm always making you know taking people out of their normal lives and putting them into unexpected surroundings and here I am and um it was very funny to be writing to be editing the the chapter which has Eliza suddenly deciding to go to Edinburgh her, the, the, a series of events pulls her out of her this, this very safe uh lonely life that she's built for herself in Melbourne and she finds herself um, terrified. She's really very severe fear of flying, um, but sitting with uh, a young fellow called Sullivan, who's 12, who's an unaccompanied minor, and then on her other side, a very, very nervous um, uh, flyer called Judith. And um, I had such a ball writing Sullivan, and in fact, early readers, I keep getting people look you know they like Eliza but no can we talk about Sullivan it's all about Sullivan so <laughs> it, it's it's lovely when you make these characters that suddenly you know become um, bigger than you expected them to be I was and, I was suspecting that perhaps uh, Sullivan waltzed onto the page and, and, and didn't want to leave was is that is that how that kind of went in the writing that is completely what happened. I had to cut yeah. out about 23 chapters of Jess Sullivan because I was enjoying writing him so much. <laughs> and, um, and, in fact, that happened to me. I was flying back last year from Australia back home to Ireland and um, and my flight got diverted because of the dust storm and uh, ended up having an unexpected overnight stay. And I had watched um, an unaccompanied minor um, being looked after by the flight attendants, actually. This, and that was a, like a, a little girl. It wasn't a 12-year-old boy in this case. And I was thinking, what happens to them, you know, when um, when flights are diverted? Who looks after them? Um, so I, I had started to think, well, that would be an interesting character if, if Eliza on this flight met um, like a young, like a child. Um, and and so it turned out to be. So Sullivan's quite an interesting young fella. He's um, he's very possibly on the spectrum, but he could just have his very own unique personality. And he's going over to spend some time with his father. Um, he and his mother, his parents are separated, and so he moves back and forth, spending time with both of them. And he knows what being lonely feels like too. And uh, I think he recognises a kindred spirit in Eliza. And basically, he takes her under his wing. Um, this 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 kid, um, so it becomes a, sort of an unexpected friendship for the two of them. Because um, I'm I'm very interested in in the connections that people make um, in times of their lives when we're very vulnerable and 
when we when we need support in ways that we don't expect. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's right. Eliza's going through all this um, trauma that she's uh, finally facing up to, and and Sullivan, this just uh, infectious and charming young guy, is just so so perfect as a distraction for her, isn't he? I think he is, and I think that does happen in real life sometimes. That you know, you think you are on this solitary journey, and um, and then out of the blue, you know, a chance conversation with somebody will will make you look at things in a different way. Or in this case, you know, Sullivan is also going to Edinburgh because that you know that's where his father lives, um, and you know, he's terribly interested in everything that goes on around him. So, you know, he basically wriggles his way into into Eliza's life. So she's going over expecting one thing to happen, um, which is to find a bit more out about her, you know, her own parents um, and finds herself very mixed up in Sullivan's life. <laughs> and so he was, yeah, it is lovely when a character like that suddenly appears that you weren't expecting to be part of your story. And, um, and he certainly was one of those. Mm-hmm. Oh, they both find themselves... Uh, in Edinburgh, obviously. Uh, tell me about Edinburgh. Do you adore Edinburgh as I adore Edinburgh? Oh, do you too? I think everybody adores Edinburgh, don't they? Mm. Um, I do. I think it's a really beautiful city. Um, it's. I had been there a good few times before I started writing this book, but I'd actually been there to visit a writer friend of mine um, in, in Edinburgh. And uh, just as I was in the early stages and I thought, and I decided very quickly, ah, this is where Eliza will come to. So I had the pleasure of doing several research trips um, to the city uh, at different times of the year. And um, the book is set around sort of March, April, so kind of early spring and uh, spring and so warm. Um, mm. And I uh, went first, you know, to at that same time, that's always quite important to go to a city at a time, that, particularly in Europe, when it is so different, you know, a winter Edinburgh is very different than a summer Edinburgh. And um, and I had a beautiful time. At that stage, I was still working out what the plot was and where it would be set. And, um, and I knew that uh, Eliza would be going to stay with her, one of her godmothers who uh, runs a boutique hotel in the city, in Edinburgh. So I had just this glorious few days walking around thinking that's where I'm going to build my hotel. My hotel is going to be in this street and um, and here's where she'll walk and she's going to do this trip and this is what she's going to look at. So it's a it's one of my favourite parts of the writing process, actually, walking around um, and on the surface it looks like me walking around, but I'm, I'm being my character and trying to see it for the first time and noticing the details that she would notice. Um, she had been there once before as a, you know, as a 17 year old, but she's back as an adult now. So, uh, I had, yeah, it was terrific to spend time there. Went to all oh, the different yeah. locations, um, not during fr- fringe time, actually. It was just before that. And then I went back again in January this year after I'd been locked away for a year in Dublin, finishing the book. And I went back um, in, yeah, in January with my visiting Australian niece, my 18 year old niece, Ruby. And it was, that was a really special um, experience too, because Ruby, uh, we have, you know, we're really close aunt and niece, and to be going around the city with my manuscript in hand, like literally, we we sat in all the spots where the different the different scenes happen, and I would double check the details, and um, and she would you know, look at things and make sure that they sounded okay too. So it became a kind of a family affair. And when the book is about those kind of connections between two generations, it it really mattered to me that you know we were we were walking around the botanic gardens together, and we went to all the different spots that Eliza does. So yeah, I feel like I know areas of Edinburgh very intimately now, and it's a yeah, I like that very much. What a rich experience. <laughs> it's, um, uh, write, writing books doesn't all have to be uh, strapping yourself to a laptop alone in a chair. <laughs> it's, uh, it's good to know. Um, 
this this hotel you speak of, the Montgomery, it's called, uh, is is what gives this novel a, a whole another set of layers of intrigue, and uh, it's part of what gets the reader just tap dancing from one chapter to the next because um yeah you've got you've got eliza and her um journey after so many years uh to search for answers about her deepest traumas and that's that's at the heart of the book but then you've got um uh this time spent in this hotel's beautiful old building uh which on paper is doing really well um but you quickly find out is that a a real crossroads with a lot of characters with different <laughs> objectives. <laughs> yes. I love, um, I've, I've spoke, like somebody asked me once, you know, what, what do you write? And I said, I write family comedy dramas. That's how mm. I would describe what I write. And, uh, and there's always a main character, but what really intrigues me about human beings in real life and then in my fiction as well is that, um, you know, if you have a main character going through, you know, through their own story, um, you can never assume that everybody else that they come up against is in a perfect spot and in their lives as well, because they never are. And uh, and that's certainly what happens in this novel, that there's, um, you know, Liza's coming over to stay with Olivia, her, her, um, her godmother. Uh, and exactly as you say, uh, there's all sorts of things happening in the Montgomery Hotel and, and with Olivia's two stepsons, um, with her, her husband, who's unfortunately in the throes of dementia and, and not, you know, not part of the family. He's, he's in care. And, I also wanted that to be the case that it wasn't just a matter of Eliza arriving and, and they can all just put everything down to, you know, help her do what they're doing because that that doesn't happen in real life. You know, everybody's everybody's struggling in some ways or, you know, conflicted about something. Um, and then for, for extra good measure, I threw in um, a, another character called Celine who is Olivia's, not mother-in-law, but it's Olivia's husband's first wife's mother. So a really complicated <laughs> relationship. Yes. And this woman is a piece of work um, because I, I love writing behind the scenes in, you know, particularly like a hotel is fantastic to write about because you can have guests coming and going. And on the surface, like the Montgomery Hotel is, is you know, very sleek and boutique and charming and, and um, you know, very stylish. But there's all sorts of trouble people trying to run it. Um, so you flash in and out of, of what, what it's like behind the scenes, um, particularly with this, this Celine creature in one of the rooms. Oh, I love Celine. <laughs> She's just so much fire and brimstone. And, and then uh, remarkably, you, you not only bring Eliza into her orbit, but also Sullivan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're all so going in. to read. <laughs> Oh, that's um, lovely to hear. Thanks. I know. Again, I had to cut so many chapters um, out of um, with Celine and Sullivan because some characters they they really do um, you know take over. Celine is really foul mouthed, and um, and she uh, has no shame, and she is vicious, and there is no redemption for some. You know, sometimes with characters who aren't well behaved, they do get their comeuppance and sometimes they don't because in real life some people just get away with murder. And so she was really good fun to write because she just, I sat, I would sit differently when I was writing her dialogue. I'd be kind of defiant in the way I was sitting <laughs> and um, because she, you know, the dialogue with her was really good fun. And um, and, and as I said with Sullivan, who's this you know, very curious, um, earnest 12-year-old, you know, he, he's been, terribly interested in her as well because he's interested in everybody he meets uh so it was a lot of fun to put the three of them in in rooms together sometimes um you, you, you say that 
you write these kind of family comedy dramas, um, I think that's a, a really good way of putting it. You grew up uh, in the Clare Valley, I believe, with six siblings, I read. Um, I did. <laughs> what was that like? Is that where the comedy and the drama began for you? Yeah, completely, Ben. I know I, you know, I owe everything that I am as a writer, as a human, I think, to my my childhood. I, um, my dad was the railway station master in the small town of Clare in the Clare Valley of South Australia, which is a you know, well-known wine region about two hours north of Adelaide. And um, and mum, you know, raised the seven of us and then, you know, unsurprisingly took the most quiet job possible, which was working in the local library. <laughs> and, um, but we were very lucky that we we grew up in the, in the station master's house, which was this, for me as a little kid, big rambling house on the edge, you know, up on a hill. And um, we were on the edge of town, so we could be playing up in the hills and be bush kids. But we were also just a walk from the railway station and also from the centre of town. So from my point of view, I could switch very easily between being you know, a bush kid, a, a country kid, country town kid, or, a, um, you know, like a little town kid. And um, and then also being the middle of seven kids, I've got three brothers and three sisters, and it was a very lively, noisy, um, action-packed kind of a house to live in. Mum and Dad were very, very social, so we had lots of people coming to stay and, and you know, lots of people visiting and dinners and, you know, people sitting around the kitchen table talking. And with all of us kids, lots of other um, friends coming to stay as well and visiting. So whenever the squeaky gate would open or the door would open, you'd never be sure who would come in, what stories I'd have to tell, um, you know, whether it was a, you know, something dramatic had happened or something emotionally romantic as we all became adolescents or, you know, a pet or something had happened to one of the animals or – and. I think that's where I got the prototypes for my books because they they my books tend to take off like a rocket and all there's lots of dialogue in them and there's other ca- characters coming in and out all with plenty to say um, and I think I'm probably recreating my childhood in lots of ways um, in that just there were so many people around and so much going on and that's I love to put that in my books I I don't think I could write. Um, like I think if I'd been an only child, I think I would be writing very, very different books today than the, you know, the the jam-packed ones I do now. Yeah, definitely. W- was it a, a literary home? You, you said your mother worked in a library. It was in some ways. I mean, we, I, I, I was a great reader. I learned to read as a four-year-old and, um, and we were part of this terrific um, um, program that was run by the South Australian State Library and because we only had a small institute library in Clare when I was growing up. So it was like in an old, you know, old building. It was very romantic from my point of view that um, but the boys' books were on one side of the room, the girls' on the other. Can you imagine? So it was like Biggles on one side and Edith Blyton on the other. Right. Um, and... I'd, we'd read our way through those very swiftly, and it was um, the librarian. It was like something from a Raoul Dahl novel, to be honest. And you know, you kind of walk down this dark, dusty um, hallway, and you know, there'd be dust motes coming through the air and the sunlight streaming and that kind of thing. And then and her name was Miss Olmeyer and she'd be behind the the, um, the desk and she had grey hair tied back in a bun and it was very quiet and very, you know, quite religious in there. Um, and so it was quite an experience to go to her library and, you know, borrow. But, I, you know, I'd read my way through there. But the State Library did this brilliant service for country kids that um, they they got you to fill out a little card with, you know, boy or girl and what things are you interested in. And so all seven of us McInerney kids, we filled these out. 
and sent them off. And um, and I was very enthusiastic even then about reading. So I ticked boy and girl, and I also ticked every box. So once a month, um, an anonymous librarian that we never met would send um, a parcel up on the train and then later on the bus, but it would come to the railway station. And our dad would say, you know, kids, come on over, your, your books are here. So we would go over and it was this gorgeous thing that dad would, you know, treat us like we were customers. And we'd come in and, um, you know, he'd hand over, okay, here's, you know, Monica, here's your parcel. And it would be a, uh, four books wrapped in that corrugated kind of cardboard and then... Yep brown paper around it and then string, like something straight out of the sound of music or, you know, those kind of things. And because I had um, been so enthusiastic with my box ticking, um, I got the books on every subject under the sun. So I got one, you know, once and, and it was, you know, how to sail a boat. And, you know, we, we had a one creek in the town that would, would never had any water in it. Um, you know, I had um, nonfiction. I had, um, you know, all sorts of Australian fiction, but also Mark Twain. They would just put any books into my, into my parcel. And I think that that one, it turned books into magical objects for me, the idea of getting this new parcel once a month um, that I never knew what was going to be in it. Um, but two, I still read really widely now. Um, you know, I, I read um, all genres. I read kids' books. I read poetry. And I, I do think that was because of, you know, from from that. Um, and then later, um, the, the a bigger library was, was opened in Clare, and that's when Mum started working there, and that was like being given the keys to the kingdom because Mum was very... Um, shouldn't say this all well, I suppose I can all these years later very lax about um, borrowing limits and also um, opening hours so we basically could go in and out whenever we wanted and help ourselves so from my point of view absolutely surrounded by books and stories um all you know all through my younger life how fantastic um you've lived around Australia and in London and then uh, you've I understand you've worked a, a number of jobs in you eventually romance and Irishman uh and lived in Dublin um how how did writing novels become a, a solid thing in your life? I think I, I like I always knew I wanted to be around words and stories. Um, so I worked in all sorts of different industries. And my first job actually after I finished school was um, I, I left Clare and moved to Adelaide and I got a job as a wardrobe girl uh, on the Here's Humphrey TV program which some people listening will hopefully remember, but it was Humphrey B. Bear. So it was a, you know, a bear basically wearing a waistcoat and no trousers. But um, yep. it was his adventures. And he's an absolute institution um, in, in Australian children's television. So I had a wonderful three years working on that program as Wardrobe Girl. And then I became a scriptwriter on Here's Humphrey for, I wrote about six or seven episodes of that. And then um, moved to London for a couple of years and then moved to Sydney and, and worked in the music industry and, and kind of travelled around and then started working in, in book publishing, always to do with words and stories and communication in some way. And and that was wonderful. That was enough for me, it felt at the time. Um, I worked with lots of different authors. I, I helped um, organise a book tour for Roald Dahl, for example, in um, in Australia and got to meet him. I've actually, I was given a chocolate by Roald Dahl. Oh. Um, yeah, which is still, you know still kind of one of the highlights of my life, and um, and then also I did a you know when Tim Winton started writing his Lockie Leonard books, I um, organised his publicity tour for that. So I did a tour with Tim Winton and um, got to meet incredible authors. Um, around that time, I met my um, my husband John, who's from Ireland, and so I went I, I moved back to Ireland with him and worked in Irish. Um, book publicities and and there met some extraordinary writers um, like Tony Morrison and Carol Shields and really you know terrific wow. authors were, were coming in 
to um, into Ireland for you know book festivals or for publicity, and and I would escort them and set up their publicity schedule and and get to talk to them, get to listen to all their interviews, um, and then also have you know have dinner with them and ask them questions, and. All of this was going on for um, sort of between me being, I guess, 20, 25 up until 35, I suppose, and well, you know, around that time. And um, I was just trying to work how old I am then. Yeah, no, around about those times. <laughs> um, and then um, John and I moved back to Australia and we uh, spent a year in uh, in the Clare Valley back where I'd grown up, which was really special like to be back there as an adult and, you know, to be spending time with my mum and dad then. And then we moved to Tasmania for three years. And for the first time in all of those years, I wasn't working with um, in books or um, in a creative projects at all um I, I after a little while I, I got work with a public relations firm which was about me being a writer still and you know um, doing media releases but I really missed that creative um, you had to make your own fun I did literally have to make my own fun and I, I still think if I had I had stayed within you know working in publishing I probably wouldn't have written because I would have got that joy of words and storytelling from my day-to-day job but I it, it was like it was like an ache that you know I need to be doing something with my imagination so I borrowed the work laptop one day in Hobart and uh, and and uh, I had an idea for a short story one that you'd find at the back of a magazine and I sat down this night and I wrote this this short story and it poured out of me it was like a dam burst I can still recall the unbelievable feeling of I've just written a short story the next night I said could I borrow that laptop again yet and had a terrific boss called Marie and she said yeah sure brought it home and Again, another short story. And it was as if all these stories had been building up and building up in me all these years that I'd been reading so much and talking to authors and being with authors. And it, they just came flooding out. And so for about a year and a half, I was just, I was like a machine, short story machine. And I started sending them out, trying to get them published um, in magazines in Australia. Back that come, you know, and back then you had to send them out in a um, stamp self-addressed envelope. Yep. So I'd come home um, from my job in the in the public relations firm to see an envelope in my own handwriting in the, you know, in the in the letterbox. So it felt like you'd rejected yourself. It was a bit painful actually. Um, so I actually started changing my handwriting. So you know, to trick myself when I'd come home to a rejection, so it didn't hurt as much. Um, but then after about a year of being rejected and I, I didn't bother me that I was being rejected because I was having such I couldn't believe how great it felt to be writing and you know I, and I'd, I'd just try again I'd, I'd send out another one and um but then out of the blue after about a year I got an acceptance and then the following week I got two, in about two weeks three of my short stories were accepted and published and I was paid for them um and then that gave me the confidence to start working on a novel so I think looking back now that was my kind of apprenticeship of a way like that's how I found my own voice by writing all those short stories different genres I wrote literary ones I wrote thrillers I wrote science fiction I wrote historical fiction um but the, it turned out the three that got accepted um all had family settings had lots of dialogue Lots of humour, but also something more serious happening underneath, and uh, and a twist in the tale. So, um, and in a way, I think that's you know that's when I found what I like to write about. Fantastic! Um, you've done the author thing for nearly twenty years now. Uh, what's been the most rewarding of the experiences? It's funny because I've actually I've been thinking about that. Yeah, 20, 2020 marks my twentieth year of being of being published, and 
you don't as a writer you don't often look back oddly enough because you're always well from speaking for myself just trying to keep your head above water <laughs> yeah is that and you've also you, I mean I have a head full of ideas so even like with me my books always overlap like about three quarters of the way through writing one novel I'll start to get ah I think I know what I'm going to write about next and then the characters start to form and so I'm kind of as soon as I finish one book I'm I'm you know raring to get going on the next one but over the last couple of months, in, like all of us, with the pandemic and things slow down, and I've looked back over the 20 years, um, the, the the most fantastic thing is um, having readers, is that people read what I write and um, and I get to talk to them on book tours, I get to talk to them through social media and emails, um, and that never, um, that never ceases to fill me with um, gratitude and joy, to be honest, um, to, and, and because I now have like a 13 books behind me. So people come across books at different times. So a book that maybe I'd written eight years ago, I might get an email from somebody just to say, look, I've just read this and it struck all these chords with me. Thank you. And they, I love that. That's a really beautiful feeling. And, um, and to meet, you know, booksellers and uh, librarians and just to, to, and publishers and my agents and to, to be in that book world um is a you know is a in the creative world um just I, I i love that i've been able to do that for 20 years uh that's that's the most amazing thing to me mm, it's a real gift isn't it uh you, you mentioned uh that you have overlapping books so what will be the next to overlap <laughs> I've actually, um, um, I'm, I'm in the early stages of my 13th, so The Godmothers is my 12th, uh, it's my 13th book in my 12th novel because I have a collection of short stories as well. Um, so I'm in the early stages of, I, I usually spend about six months imagining um, the characters. So I get, I, I, I never know what the plot is, but I know my people very, very well. So I'm at the stage that I've got this this new fictional family and I'm working out who gets on with who and, um, and, and what the different relationships and who's got, you know, access to grind and and all of that. Then my then what I do the way I describe it is I I set off what I call an emotional explosion in that family to see how they all react. But before I set that off, um, I I know everybody in that family. So that's I'm at that stage. I'm kind of, you know, any any daydreaming moment. I'm I'm picturing this new family. Um, but I've also um, in for the last year and a half two years I've um, I'm writing a children's book series. Um, so that's been something new for me, and I really love doing that. And um, my first one, it's for younger readers, 10 and under, and it's called Marcy Gill and the Caravan Park Cat. And uh, it's uh, it's a chapter book and it's a family story with lots of comedy and drama, um, but it's got lots of magic ingredients too. So, uh, and that's um, Penguin are publishing that, the first of that series in April next year. So oh, I've been doing, doing this gorgeous thing um one as i said to be able to write with magic because i you know I, in my adult novels i'm quite tempted actually to start throwing some magic into <laughs> into those too but the fun of being able to you know the, like master gill is my main character obviously in the in the children's book and and you know and she she discovers there's magic in the air where she lives in this caravan park and um but i'm also working with a, a, a terrific uh, illustrator called danny snell who's also in adelaide and he's 
coming up with these beautiful drawings of my characters. And that's never happened to me before, you know, 20 years of being published that, uh, that I've seen uh, my characters come to life through somebody else's eyes. So I'm, I'm just at the stage where we're seeing the early drawings and, uh, and he's, you know, he's brought his own idea of, of the characters. So that's been really special. So I'm writing, uh, yes, I'm writing my next adult novel and then I've got, I'm writing two more books in the Master Gill series too. So there's a fair bit going on actually. <laughs> You're busy. I'm busy, yeah. Well, I better let you get back to it. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you, Monica, and I, I really, really enjoy this book. It's been really rewarding, so thank you. Thanks a million, Ben, and thanks to everybody at Booktopia. I know I'm not the only Australian author who just sings your praises. You do so much to promote us all and to, and, and I know during the, the pandemic that you've been getting books to readers all around the country the whole way through, So, and myself included, actually. Um, so just a big thanks to Booktopia too. Oh, happy to do the service. The Godmothers is published by uh, Penguin Random House and it and all of Monica's books are available from booktopia.com.au. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.